Hey guys, welcome back to Now Is Then Podcast, episode number two, Cleopatra, the last pharaoh. You are here with Alexis, Rada, Lily, Robert. Before we begin, we would just like to give some special thanks to Simon Lee and Courtney Jacobs for giving us access to the Young Research Library Special Collections area, and to Deidre Whitmore and Tom Garbalotti for giving us continuous tech support throughout this course as well as to Kylie Thompson for allowing us to interview her during her very busy schedule. Um, Without further ado, let's get started. So when you think of Cleopatra, what exactly comes to mind? Do you think about her relationships with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony? Do you think about Shakespeare's famous play, maybe even the 20th century film about her starring Elizabeth Taylor? Maybe even Katy Perry's Dark Horse video, which is rather Egyptian-themed. Well, we can't really say just why she has maintained her popularity throughout history, but we can conjecture that it is most likely from her contact with the ancient Romans. But I, what I think is really unfortunate is that people don't tend to focus on her achievements before this, I think instead people like to focus on the drama and art surrounding her famous love affairs in the quote-unquote exotic realm of Egypt and just tend to forget about what she's done before that. In this podcast, we will be discussing the various misconceptions that have or have been figured upon Cleopatra in order to unravel what exactly people thought of her across time. We will first discuss her influence in the past, beginning with a brief background about her, and how different depictions of her have changed the way she's viewed over time. So, first of all, some background on Cleopatra. She is most known for her affairs with Antony and Caesar, but she was actually quite the successful ruler before that, and she was, in fact probably the most powerful ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty. So Cleopatra VII was the daughter of Ptolemy XII and Cleopatra Tryphena. Her name, Cleopatra, means glory of her father, and her other name, Philopator, is a common royal epithet given to Hellenistic monarchs. And it's given to mean she who loves her father. Her other other name, Thea, is goddess. So in summation her name basically means goddess who loves her father and i suppose that this is very fitting because she was all very close to her father and she ruled jointly beside him until he died after his death uh, cleopatra succeeded the throne uh, at the age of 19 and was given the title lady of the two lands and since a woman could not rule without a male escort she married her brother ptolemy the 13th who was only 10 years old at the time. Just on a side note here, this marriage is debated among scholars because it was likely to have happened, but we don't really have physical evidence for it, so maybe take that with uh, caution. Though Cleopatra uh, ascended the throne at a very young age, she was very talented, especially with language. She could speak about eight languages fluently, and she never relied on interpreters. Her language set included African, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Egyptian. And this is actually really important because uh, she is said to be the only Ptolemy to ever learn the Egyptian language, as the rest of them uh, did not. 
She was also very independent, which caused her some trouble with her members of court. Actually, her independent attitude was one of the reasons why she was actually exiled. So what had happened was her chief advisor overthrew her and placed her brother, Ptolemy XIII, on the throne as the sole ruler and pharaoh. Uh, While she was in exile, Julius Caesar had set up martial law in ancient Egypt uh, after learning that Pompey the Great was killed by Ptolemy XIII. Cleopatra saw this as an opportunity to gain back her power and became lovers with Caesar, which outraged the reigning pharaoh who decided to declare war on the both of them. Caesar and Cleopatra were besieged for about six months until Roman reinforcements uh, rescued them. Just on a a little side note here, I find it really interesting that, um, because I I took these sources from encyclopedias, and I'm of the belief that encyclopedias are supposed to be objective sources of information, But I I find it kind of questionable that when the article implies that only Cleopatra was being manipulative in the relationship with Caesar, um, I've actually found other accounts uh, of authors finding that both Cleopatra and Caesar wanted to use each other in order to gain something. And in fact, um, uh, one author asserts that Caesar saw the opportunity to settle Egypt's debt with Rome, and Cleopatra saw a way to obtain the throne uh, from her brother. Under their um, relationship, she actually repaid the debt to Rome, which was incurred by her father. And she did this by changing the value of the currency by adding new metals to the ancient Egyptian coins. After the war... Uh, Cleopatra gave birth to Ptolemy XV, who is also known as Caesarian, and Caesar brought the both of them to Rome with him, which actually angered many of the Roman nobility. Cleopatra tried to assuage their anger with um, lavish ancient Egyptian gifts, but um, they were seen as impractical and ludicrous displays of wealth instead of the peace offerings they were meant to be. After Caesar's assassination, Cleopatra and Caesarian fled back to Alexandria in Egypt, and Mark Antony was sent after them as part of his investigation to interrogate any suspects involved with Caesar's murder. And he actually summoned Cleopatra to appear in Tarsus to answer to charges that she was in on the assassination. Cleopatra actually charmed Mark Antony with her rumored wit and charm, and they also became lovers. Mark Antony was uh, said to love her to the point where he actually divorced his Roman wife Octavia to marry Cleopatra legally, which um, was a really big insult to his kind of co-ruler Octavian, who actually basically incited a, a Roman civil war as Antony and Octavian's relationship kind of disintegrated. Eventually... Cleopatra and Antony were defeated at the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE. They both committed suicide. Uh, Antony decided to stab himself after reading a false report of Cleopatra's death, and Cleopatra chose a death by snakebite after realizing the gravity of her defeat by Octavian. So like I mentioned previously, these summary excerpts were taken from Ancient Encyclopedia as well as the Encyclopedia Britannica. But I think it's worth noting that several pieces of the information given are a little bit questionable. 
An example of this is where Ancient Encyclopedia asserts that Cleopatra's death was by snakebite, definitively, but the real fact of the matter is that we just don't know. Cleopatra's death is actually a complete mystery, and to date, nobody has found any physical evidence relating to how she died. And this is because the location of her tomb is unknown, and as of right now, is lost to history. Plutarch maintains the death by snakebite with a basket of figs narrative, where he details that uh, she had a basket of figs brought to her, but hidden inside the basket were several Egyptian cobras, and when she put her hand in the basket, that's how she died. But other historians, including Dio and Galen, assert that she killed herself with poison instead of snake bites. So Galen asserts that Cleopatra bit open her own skin and then applied poison onto the wound, while Dio found that she actually died either from a snake bite or from stabbing herself with a poisoned hairpin. Most sources do agree on the fact that it was suicide, but all this is to say that we may not know the exact reason, so we may have to take this information with a grain of salt. Before we begin discussing how old sources have interpreted Cleopatra in ancient Egypt, we want to inform you what effects do these old sources have based on Columbia University's professor Edward Said, who is researcher on literature and author of his book Orientalism. According to Said, there are misinterpretations that are drawn toward countries that have been colonized by Europeans or made contact with Europeans. First, we must distinguish the Orient from Westernization and European civilizations. The Orient consists of Europe's greatest and richest and oldest colonies, civilizations, languages, and recurring images of the other. Thus, we can suggest that in ancient Egypt, Europeans had framed this country as the Orient by depicting this culture as exotic and in this case for this podcast portraying Cleopatra as an inferior queen with false interpretations about her. As Said shortly defines it, Orientalism is a way of westernization for dominating and restructuring and having authority over the Orient. You will notice in this podcast that Europeans and the West have recreated Cleopatra by falsifying her real history and transformed her identity that alludes to how she has become portrayed today, as we will see in the present how even in movies and pictures she is depicted with a sexualized image, the Orient. As you listen to this podcast, we want you to consider Edward Said's interpretation of Orientalism and Cleopatra's background to be perspicacious of what we have found as we take you back in time from historical writers to what modern depictions of this noble and intelligent queen has become. So now we're going to move to our kind of old perspective on Cleopatra. And old sources talking about Cleopatra may not be as dependable as we once thought. One of the most ancient critics of Cleopatra is Plutarch, who is, again, like the information is questionable because out of many reasons, he was alive about 100 to 200 years after Cleopatra's death. So considering he wasn't even alive to see her, to know her, to meet her, the information coming from him is maybe not the most reliable. And this is actually a common motif among the classical historians, they tend to comment on her wit and charm rather than her looks, which they claim are maybe not as um, beautiful as compared to other women. So Plutarch maintains 
that she is witty and charming, but he, again, he takes a cheap swing at her looks where he says, quote, for her beauty, as we are told, was in itself not altogether incomparable, nor such as to strike those who saw her, but converse with her had an irresistible charm, and her presence combined with the persuasiveness of her discourse and the character which was somehow diffused about her behavior towards others had something stimulating about it, end quote. While he gives her this credit, he tends to actually portray Cleopatra as more of like a wicked seductress that led Antony to his downfall by basically implying that she ruined both of Antony's marriages, first to his first wife, Fulvia, and then with Octavia. He actually portrays her as a master actress and manipulator. And there's a very big quote from him, but it's basically saying that uh, she pretended to love him and made her body slimmer with dieting and uh, put on fake looks of rapture when he drew near, quote, quote, and one of faintness and melancholy when he went away. And I think it's really interesting that he's directly arguing that Cleopatra's love for Antony was completely fake. And I think it's interesting that he makes this conclusion because he wasn't even alive to even have any substantial evidence for this. I I would also like to point out that uh, Plutarch doesn't really blame Antony for being unfaithful to his Roman wife, but rather chooses to blame Cleopatra, the exotic seductress from the unknown and foreign lands of Egypt. I think there is inherent bias against her, uh, not only because she's a woman, but also because of the fact that she's not of Roman descent. Cleopatra, on a side note here, is not technically Egyptian, she's actually Macedonian Greek, but her association with Egypt, as she was the ruler, it made her something to be looked down upon by the Romans. Now, considering the fact that Plutarch was one of the most ancient sources available to Egyptologists, I think it's not really a surprise to us that this particular image of her as a seductress of sorts has persisted into modern times, since many people drew off of his work when they were describing Cleopatra. And this includes Shakespeare when he wrote the play Antony and Cleopatra. Um, However, I do believe that as we get into the modern centuries, opinions are changing and people are starting to question the authorities of historians like Plutarch. And I think with more and more archaeological discoveries being made every day, I think this could eventually lead to more accurate information on Cleopatra with less inherent bias inside of it. Okay, so I know I definitely talked a lot about Plutarch and his kind of misogynistic Rome is better than Egypt kind of thing, but um, I bet you guys are probably wondering, like, okay, we know we know the ancient perspective, so so what? Like, what about modern times? And um, I do think that even though uh, Plutarch's kind of way of thinking about Cleopatra has persisted into the modern era, I, I also believe that uh, modern narrative is kind of going towards a more objective view of Cleopatra, and, and people are actually really starting to question the authority of figures like Plutarch. I can argue that one one example includes the author Adrian Goldsworthy, 
And he he basically chronicled Antony and Cleopatra's entire relationship from beginning to end. And in his introduction of his book, he actually asserts that uh, he thinks that people feel pressured to support Cleopatra and give opinions in her favor. But um, he actually believes that uh, Cleopatra and Antony should be viewed in a non-opinion way completely. Um, just because we have little to no information about them as people. So he kind of thinks that um, us as modern viewers, we don't really have a right to form an opinion about them. And I guess this is kind of an improvement on people's view of Cleopatra, but I'm actually going to get into greater detail that with that kind of thing. Actually, I'm here with Lily right now, and we're going to have like a short... Uh, discussion on how we think the views on Cleopatra have changed. So I know I've been talking a lot about, you know, like ancient sources, kind of that, yeah, Plutarch, yeah, that very um, kind of misogynistic, potentially inaccurate view. So I just kind of want to know what are your thoughts on how uh, narrative on Cleopatra has changed? So my thoughts course come from a modern scholar named Cecilia Peake who actually has two articles on Cleopatra, one of her expulsion during her early, her early reign of years, uh, reigning years, and then the other one talks about the Nile cruise, the Nile cruise she had with uh, Julius Caesar. So in the article about the expulsion of Cleopatra, Cecilia Peake asserts that even though Cleopatra was deposed during her early years of reign, she later became popular as queen to the ancient Egyptians. She was so popular among them that during upheaval against Rome, which was you know their enemy at the time, uh, they all rose up to fight on her behalf. Okay, so that's like that's like overwhelming favor of her almost. That's that's really quite different like, from the narrative that Plutarch kind of picks yeah, apart. Like who, who who would be willing to fight for, you know? Yeah, to, I can't find <laughs> any any of my people willing to, you know, rise up and fight for me. So, yeah. <laughs> but wow, that's that's really quite different from the kind of ancient perspective that we were getting before. Yes, and in the other article on the Nile cruise. Uh, Peak praises her achievements, you know, where she's restoring ties with Upper Egypt and reinforcing connections with neighboring civilizations such as Rome. But uh, inevitably, she achieved all this through her relationship with uh, Julius Caesar at the time. So that yeah, that that's definitely painting her in a different sort of light. I know kind of for a fact that Plutarch doesn't really credit her with too much of anything and actually just kind of makes her look bad, like, over the course of his, like, Roman lives compendium of stories. But um, this was really good. Um, definitely a good discussion on how it changed over time. All right, all right. Old sources in the field of Egyptology usually don't come with reliable information, especially those coming from Greek scholars such as Herodotus, or daughters, especially Herodotus, since, you know, there's a whole debate where they actually went to Egypt or not, so I don't know if you could trust that. They shared biased views but can still provide some 
I can't stress this enough, some semi-modern perspectives. There is this author, Arthur Regal, who wrote The Life and Times of Cleopatra, Queen of Egypt. This book was first published in 1914, so we can pretty much assume it's as reliable as pouring a bottle of water on a forest fire. Not as much. Regal states throughout the first half of his book that it is good to have an unbiased opinion, but then continues throughout the second half of his book to describe Cleopatra as a duchess of Roman men. So pretty much going to the contrary of what he stated in the beginning. Most of his evidence is spotty, but he believes that she was manipulative and used her wit to gain an empire, not caring for anything that didn't lead her to more power or securing power for her children's future. The view must have been popular since this book was not published once, twice, or three times, but it was published four times within a decade. So, for the first time in 1914, then in 1923, 1924, and 1926. Around the decade after it was first published, there was some negativity that had been propagated by the book around this female queen, showing Romans as the underdogs until Octavian takes over and frees them from the tyranny that is Cleopatra. This can reflect the political and social landscape of the time. It could be propaganda that women weren't generally seen in positions of power, and if they were ever reached a position of power, it wouldn't end as well as if it were a man. This would not only affect how the scientific or analytical world views Cleopatra and her rule, but also the young readers of the time, the public, that are being influenced and giving a wrong view of Cleopatra and how she came into power or came out of power. As Robert mentioned, a seductress Cleopatra problematizes her role as a powerful ruler. If she is only seen as a seductress and call for political power, then this is nonetheless a product of gender bias that underestimates her sexual and political authority as Mary Hammer says in her 1993 book, Signs of Cleopatra. She is constantly appropriated and transformed in history as a patriarchal woman to a woman who is a cultural artifact that problematizes power relations between the sexes. This is not fair to her reflection as a powerful queen who deserves equal standing alongside powerful kings. Furthermore, this gives the wrong impression of what we should be looking at Cleopatra as according to her true history. We see Cleopatra represented in various contexts relating to love, politics, and sexual appeal as she is our famous celebrity today. As Alexis, Lily, and Roberto suggest, historical sources deflect against Cleopatra's identity by falsifying facts that intertwine with her relationship with the Romans. Not only have historical accounts of Cleopatra falsify the past, but we can see her representations being accounted further down in history. From Shakespeare's play Antony and Cleopatra to Las Vegas's Cleopatra Barge at Caesar's Palace and Cleopatra Hollywood Films, we do not see the truest form of Cleopatra in the movies. Just look at her character played by Elizabeth Taylor. She is actively played by a British-American actress when, in reality, Cleopatra is actually descended from Macedonian Greek ancestry. Well, other sources mention her to have some Persian blood because of her richly dark complexion inherited from her grandmother who was a Seleucid princess, while she also has a pointed nose and copper hair. 
However, if you observe many pictures and films in the modern era and the past, a lot of these images of her do not show all of these qualities with accuracy. What do you think this may suggest? According to Edward Said's definition toward Orientalism, the Western and European perspectives of race depict a bias towards ancient Egyptian culture by integrating their own opinions while also making the ancient Egyptian seen as the other. In Cleopatra's case, we see her as a sexualized ruler with different depictions of her clothing and actions in film that change her true identity as a powerful queen by Western people. These transformations that we see of Cleopatra are due to the past carrying these identifications of her into the present that falsify who she truly was. This is truly problematic to the modern century as these stereotypical approaches destroy the true identity of ancient Egypt and Cleopatra. It is unclear whether this is a racist backlash, but can we say this is a sign of European dominance or Western power over foreign countries? Before Shakespeare's play Antony and Cleopatra, many writers found her to be noble for courtly love and for confessing her wrongdoings by declaring Antony as innocent. This is seen from their love relationship in Antony's death when he tried to commit suicide after receiving a letter from Cleopatra claiming she was dead, when in reality, she wanted him to return to her after he left her, announcing her betrayal. However, soon after... Elizabethan writers expressed the deaths of Antony and Cleopatra as a source of lust and passion for each other, while Shakespeare's story suggests the dangers of love affairs considering the letter he had read about Cleopatra's death. His story of Antony and Cleopatra are multiform to the story of Romeo and Juliet, as both lovers die in the end of the story. In this case, the end plot of Shakespeare's playwright is similar to the real account of what we know about Antony's death. Antony ruins himself after receiving a letter from Cleopatra that she is dead and returns to her when he finds out that she is alive. He dies in Cleopatra's arms, and in grief, Cleopatra decides to kill herself with a snake bite. However, in our actual historical resources, we do not know how exactly she died. Similarly to Romeo and Juliet, Romeo kills himself after witnessing Juliet dead, even though she was not. When she wakes up, Juliet kills herself soon after. Whether this was Shakespeare's way of reflecting towards kinship relationships in relation to political power during his time can be questionable, and is for another podcast. Anyhow, we see a mixture of perspectives that come across Cleopatra and her history. From Shakespeare's play, we can see some evidence of real facts that reflect Cleopatra's story, even though it does not match up to her death. We can at least recognize that she has some connection to her true history, with alterations added to it. Despite that there are some similarities, these alterations to her story can be Shakespeare's choice of writing, but also it can exemplify Cleopatra and Antony's love affair, even though it is uncertain how close their relationship truly was. In the 18th and 19th century, Cleopatra is written as a weak and passionate contributor to politics and an icon to feminism and seduction. We see this type of identity carried later in the 20th and 21st century, starting from movie depictions such as Cleopatra starring British-American actress Elizabeth Taylor. This is nonetheless an Orientalist view of this woman who is judged by her political authority while centralizing her away from other ancient Egyptian rulers by illuminating her as a seductress who is played by the role of a European 
Despite that Cleopatra is closely associated to ancient Egypt and is Macedonian Greek. Hello, it's Lily here, and I'll be talking about the 1963 Cleopatra movie that exhibits or stars、uh, Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra. One particular scene is when she's entering Rome with her son on this big exotic Egyptian litter, which To me, look over extravagant, and it's being carried by slaves of the queen. And these laborers, they are somewhat diverse in skin complexion. You know, they are both light colored as well as dark colored individuals. And a little more into the scene, however. There are only black individuals, or the ones you know with the darker skin complexion, carrying the Egyptian, the, the small Egyptian litter where Cleopatra and her son sit upon. This leads us to question the possible purposeful display of dichotomy that Orientalist ideas create, where the ones with a lighter skin complexion prevail over the darker ones. In the case of this scene. The whitewashed Cleopatra, which was previously mentioned by Rada, she's only being carried by the black servants, and it's boldly depicting like this strong dichotomy that the whites are superior and usually in power, while the rest and/or non-white are at the bottom. Also, considering that the movie came out during racially segregated America. There could be a purpose in wanting, you know, to portray a white Cleopatra along with the race and power dichotomy that we see here in this scene. I'll be talking about one more scene in the 1963 Cleopatra movie that further exhibits a highly westernized and cunning Cleopatra. So this is a scene where Cleopatra. Pays a secret visit to Julius Caesar in Rome, asking him to help her become queen of Egypt. It's also the infamous scene where she shows up rolled in a carpet. So Cleopatra comes off as very demanding and uses the right witty words to get under Julius Caesar's skin. Enough of them to get him to do as she says. The young queen tells the older ruler of Rome. It's the old story. Roman greatness. Built upon Egyptian riches, you shall have them. You shall have them all, and in peace. But there is only one way. My way. Make me queen. And of course, she's asking him to make her queen of Egypt, as she was co-ruling at the time with one of her younger brothers. You can find a very demanding tone in Cleopatra's request. In addition, she uses the right words about Roman greatness, you know, being constructed upon ancient Egyptian riches, which Cleopatra uses to appeal and refer to the great Roman ruler Julius Caesar. Of course, she's going to want Roman greatness. That's why she used those specific, you know, the Roman greatness phrase in her in her demand or request. Furthermore, this scene depicts the typical and Orientalist view of a manipulative, power-thirsty Cleopatra, who later uses her wittiness to seduce "quote unquote" 
her way into rulership, extending even beyond ancient Egyptian land. Cleopatra's movie depictions in film are in connection to the Orientalist perspective of ancient Egypt. We see that in film there is an exotic ambivalence that makes the character Cleopatra not only portrayed as someone with a different identity, but also a characterization of her stereotypical power of seduction in the film starring Elizabeth Taylor. She's being reflected in this movie as an intelligent patriarchal ruler with an erotic symbolization. This is certainly a use of cultural misinterpretation towards ancient Egyptian queens that makes Cleopatra identified as a woman with sexual desire rather than articulating her powerful rulership as she had conveyed in the past. By suppressing her political authority, we see Cleopatra represented as a woman who envelops a sexual identity due to the orientalizing perspective of westernizations, devaluing her credibility and power as a queen, thus causing us to see her as someone sexualized aside from her true identity that is conveyed in the background of this film. Although Cleopatra is seen in film very creatively from Western appeals, you see her closely associated to Western culture in the 21st century at Nevada, Las Vegas, when you visit the Cleopatra Barge venue at the Caesars Palace Hotel. You must be 21 and over, folks. We see her name across different areas of this hotel, such as the Cleopatra Villa, to articulate the fascination of what Western culture has towards ancient Egypt, but by also signifying this country as ancient and exotic. However, as you can tell, Cleopatra is transformed in our modern era as a woman who has a political authority, while also having a sexual identity that contrasts from her own background. This is problematic in many ways, as we have seen her depiction presented by Elizabeth Taylor and her story that is developed in Shakespeare's playwright. These types of representations of Cleopatra are controversial to the original identity of this figure that has been designed by Orientalism reconstructing her history and appearance to someone or something different. If Cleopatra saw these depictions of her now, how do you think she would feel about Western Orientalism recreating this image? Who do you think Cleopatra was? We asked UCLA graduate student Kylie Thompson to give us some insight on her perspectives. We are here with our interviewee, Kylie Thompson. So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am currently a first-year PhD student here at UCLA in the Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations Department, um, and I focus specifically in Egyptology. My research is not on Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> 1500 years earlier, but definitely as an Egyptologist, you should know she is the last pharaoh, as it were, <laughs> under uh, what we think of as pharaonic Egypt. So we are all certainly familiar with her. But yeah. All right. That was really cool. And obviously, hopefully you can answer all of our questions. <laughs> but I mean, if obviously you're not an expert on Cleopatra, that's totally <laughs> fine. But I think we should go ahead and get started. So I'll hand it over. So have you seen movies relating to Cleopatra? And what is your opinion about those movies? So I think the one that I saw is the one that everyone has seen. And I want to say it's from the mid 60s with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I remember seeing that I put this as an undergraduate student, I had some like classical art and archaeology, like as seen in film. So that's when I watched it was like in an like archaeology course. And it's just this like very, well, 
you know, as you see in movies like Hollywood whitewashes a lot of history and everything, and especially especially being in the 60s. So you have, like, this totally different, you know, like, display of, like, who she may have been. And certainly, of course, they're going to play up, like, the romance, the drama, the, like, everything like that. I think I saw online that there's been way more movies about her that I haven't seen, like, throughout the 1900s. So I can't speak to all of those, but certainly the Cleopatra that everybody has mostly seen or has seen pictures of. Do you think Egyptians benefited from the type of exposure Cleopatra received compared to other cultural figures from Egypt? So as far as the ancient Egyptians went, as far as her notoriety, perhaps, we could say, (laughs) I think it's fair to say that a large majority of the Egyptians didn't know what was going on. Like, you know, as far as everything during the Ptolemaic period goes, there was a lot of craziness um, from our first Ptolemy you know, um, like right after the reign of Alexander, when you sort of get her family line started, there's like a bunch of different Ptolemies who she's all related to. But as far as just everyday Egyptians, certainly like they, you know, had some idea of what was going on. But you have to think like a lot of like where things are taking place, how information is traveling around the country, what's really important to them. So it's really hard to speak to like what it meant for just everyday Egyptians, other than they were feeling a lot of pressure from the Roman Empire. So, and, and I don't really know how that played out for everyday Egyptians. As far as for modern Egyptians, I would say it's the same thing. I mean, like certainly maybe people like tourism for modern Egyptians, perhaps that plays a role. Um, it's hard for me to say, but, but perhaps that could be something. I mean, when before I started Egyptology, if I had to think of like who are these famous um, ancient Egyptian figures or characters, like who can I think of? It would be like King Tut and Cleopatra, right? <laughs> before I started, you know, formally training in Egyptology, I didn't know who built the pyramids, right? Even though like the monument stands there and that draws you in, you maybe didn't even know who commissioned them, right? But again, kind of hard for me to say um, anything with certainty. To wrap up this interview, what are some key points that as an Egyptologist you would want the world to know about Cleopatra? First and foremost, like everyone, whatever you think about Cleopatra, it would just take that out of your brain, right? Take like the modern interpretations, and portrayals of her and just go back to like the ancient sources right and and not even of course the propaganda is important too right because this paints a picture of like what all was going on certainly but put her back into like 70 bc right when she was born and uh, just like be aware of like all the situation like the situation that egypt was in in that moment under like the ptolemaic period right, and um, what had been going on up until her reign, and sort of, again, what had been going on with Rome up until that point, to sort of understand why she had to do what she did, and the alliances she tried to make, like, how do these all come together, and, but most importantly, going back to, and situating yourself in the proper context, because I think sometimes people even forget, like, how long ago all this was, and, and just, like, all of this, paints like a much more accurate picture of, you know, again, who she was and who she was in Egypt and who she was in Rome. Obviously, again, there's going to be different sort of accounts depending on who's writing them and at what time period. But I think that will really help you get to like the root or closer to the root of who she was versus 
you know, this character, almost like a fictional character now versus an actual historical person. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this interview. Thank you so much for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This was really fun. And I hope that people who listen to this have a better idea of who Cleopatra the Seventh is. We're here at the Young Library Special Collections area, and we actually have some posters in front of us that basically detail images of Cleopatra for the palm olive soap and cosmetics lines. So we have palm olive advertisements from several points in history, including from 1917 to about 1925. And overall, they seem to be actually quite similar, but why don't you guys take it away? So what do you guys think, first off? Well, first of all, that Cleopatra is wearing different kinds of garments in each picture, but she most likely did not wear this type of garment when she was in her reign. So this may exemplify some sort of Western appeal to her clothing. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially with the 1917 one. It's it's actually quite revealing and I think a little bit sexualized in a sense, most likely just to sell better because there was kind of a big craze around this time period detailing around like Egypt being such an exotic place and so people wanted to jump on the train and start slapping Egyptian things on everything hoping it would sell. Alright, what is also noticeable through in these posters is the color contrast between Cleopatra and her slaves even though they're probably from the same region she is significantly like wider. Showing the power complex that white people had during the times to, you know, enforce the idea. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because actually in all three of the posters that we're examining, they all have a very dark-skinned slave serving a very whitewashed Cleopatra. In one of the advertisements, specifically the 1921, she's almost as white as the paper itself, which is a little bit concerning because it should be blatantly obvious that Cleopatra is not white. And she has very painted American-European-esque makeup and features, which definitely shows the blatant disrespect for the culture because I feel like if they did have any respect for Egyptian culture, they would have put in a little more effort to show them more accurately the way they were supposed to be. Yeah, and I think it further advocates the Orientalist idea that whites are superior than blacks, and it also exemplifies the dichotomy between the two races. And another interesting point is that a lot of these palm olive advertisements are specifically about cleaning your face, and I think what they're trying to get at here is basically becoming a queen, like your beauty from cleaning your face will make you queenly and very uh, regal. And it even specifically emphasizes smooth white hands, which is, I think, would be a little bit questionable in our modern era. Now we know Cleopatra was a powerful ruler. However, we do not recognize her conceptually portrayed this way in our present day context. We continuously see her actively playing the role of a seductress over time, while showing no sign of greater emphasis on her political authority as she had did in the past. Perhaps we can suggest that Western cultures have notably recognized her, 
as a woman with sexualized traits due to her gender and personal associations with Caesar and Antony, rather than a symbolic ruler that she inherits from her Ptolemaic ancestors and have portrayed throughout her kingdom. Furthermore, we recognize her appearance completely transformed in the modern 21st century from film. These are major issues that we must assess in regard to how we should display and articulate ancient Egyptian queens. When utilizing media and other evidence, it is important that we use research to analyze the truth about ancient Egyptian queens rather than falsifying facts and information that are from old sources or orientalist perspectives. We must consider the drawbacks and understand what is appropriate to depict Cleopatra in the correct context. Also, early studies on Cleopatra were developed on biases and orientalist ideas which painted the queen of Egypt with a sexually degrading concept, a woman seducing her way into greater power. These orientalist views were more focused on sexual fantasies about Cleopatra and swept the matters of her rulership and achievements under the rug. These are issues that we must address when it comes to utilizing technology and evidence in our modern day by reverting these misconceptions of Cleopatra to unravel what her true identity to the viewers and listeners all around. What will you do to change these perspectives of one of the most significant rulers in ancient Egyptian history? How long will it be until we don't see these biases towards cultures? Thank you.